You're listening to The Show on the Road, a new podcast where I interview songwriters, band leaders, and musicians from around the world. My name is Zach Lubitin. This week on the show, an Australian singer-songwriter who came almost 8,000 miles to talk to me, Jordy Lane. Together with his Aussie producing and harmonizing partner Claire Reynolds, Jordy has been making dark-hearted, voluptuously verbose folk music with a grinning rock and roll spirit for nearly a decade. And while he may just be making a name for himself here in the States, he's been playing huge venues all over Australia for years as one of Melbourne's most respected and beloved roots artists, touring with folks like the Moody Blues, Old Crow Medicine Show, Nico Case, and many more. I, for one, have been a big fan since I reviewed a show of his nearly seven years ago here in L.A., And I was able to talk with him and Claire in a strange backyard tiki hut in Pasadena. Yeah, you may hear some birds and trucks and kids rolling by. It's because we're outside in the elements. You'll see Jordy and Claire have that sweet symbiotic rapport that can only come from finding your musical soulmate, if you will. She's kind of his not-so-secret weapon, and you can really hear it on his newest gorgeously echoey masterpiece, Glass of Land, which she produced here in L.A. While Jordy may be an Australian kid to the core, the son of a well-known comedian mom and a traveling clown for a dad, it was the mysterious allure of American music and our bone-deep confidence to be unique and bold and brash and weird that keeps drawing him here, first to L.A. and now to his new home in Nashville. If you have a few hours, please dive into his earlier records, too. Start with Blood Thinner from 2011. It, it still chills my spine whenever I put it on. And tell your American Migos to give this Aussie kid a shot. You won't regret it. Okay, without further ado, let's hear from Jordy Lane and Claire Reynolds. Tell me where we are right now. We are in... Pasadena. <laughs> and where is it? Magnolia Avenue. But like physically, we're in the kind of a little tiki garage hut. Yes, we're in a tiki oh yeah, I thought we were doing hut. like an audio test on S's and P's. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a tiki hut, isn't it? It is. Some sort of shed. It's got magical things in it, and good things happen in this place. Skies are blue, as they always are in Los Angeles. There's a painting of a of a unicorn, and there's, yes. a, there's a strange gun behind you. There is which, a I gun. Hope, which I hope doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't. We've tried it. You know, we don't, <laughs> unicorn. I'm, I'm like, that doesn't look Just like a it. unicorn. We don't really do guns in California. No, I know. That's, that's a mobster either. with a holy Bible and, and a man captive behind bars. As you can probably tell, uh, these are not Americans we're talking to. <laughs> what? They have beautiful Australian accents. Uh, why don't you introduce yourselves to our radio audience? Yeah, uh, my name's Geordie, Geordie Lane. I'm Claire Reynolds. And we are songwriters and song, uh, singers from Australia, now spending most of our time in America. Yeah. Do you enjoy it here? We love it. We do love it. Yeah. Yeah. This whole country is incredible. Um, the landscapes just change amazingly. We've got to drive over the country a few times and, yeah, it's amazing. And your people are the best. It's funny when people refer to your people as Americans. <laughs> it feels like I don't your. even feel affiliated with people from, like, the east side of Los Angeles. <laughs> You know, we're so regionalized and like, <laughs> like tribal that's, that's at times so here. Funny. You know? Yep. No, when we when you come from anywhere further away, you completely generalize everything. Um, well, I will say, like every state is a different country. It does feel quite different. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, you have the 
the new record, Glassell Land. Mm-hmm. Um, Glassell Park being a little borough of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Amazing Filipino food, which you somehow didn't discover yet. No. Um, I don't know how we did. We, I don't crazy. think we ate the whole time. Yeah. We, were, we had a smoothie to maker. Later today and get some. But one of my favorite tracks on the new record is America Make My Dreams Come True mm. with its sort of... Mm. Under it's like a little backhanded compliment at times. Well, know? yeah, because the other bit of that title is "Won't you make my dreams come true?" with a question mark at the end. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there. I, I particularly like the line. Uh, There's more guns than humans, right? <laughs> yeah, I I don't know if I got that statistic completely correct. I think it's not like New Zealand with sheep. Yeah. No, might, no. There's way. Actually, you may be right. It, it may <laughs> be off. Let's do a, a Google search. Ooh. Might be off by a couple of million. There are there are a lot. There, yeah. We did Google it. I feel like it was. Washington Post says there are more guns than people in the United States, according to a new study of global firearm ownership. Great. Yes. We've got that well one done. right. <laughs> but you guys in Australia had a mass shooting in the '90s, yeah, and then actually had real reform happen. Literally within a week. How did it happen there and not? And why can't it happen here? Well, like that's the question we ask ourselves. But when we bring that topic up, people say, you know, you can't, don't be so naive. You know, Australia, it's easy to happen. You know, it feels like Australia has a similar isolated frontier Mm. type situation like the States, maybe in a smaller context. But definitely, I, I think. We don't have the overall love affair with the idea of being able to own a gun. Uh, it's it's more farmers, pretty much farmers. There's not as much of a hunting culture culture yeah. in Australia either. So it was a little easier to give up. But I think per capita, we we had a lot of guns um, that needed to be handed in voluntarily. Was there a buyback program? There was. So people got a healthy amount of money for handing their gun in and, uh, yeah, they put them all in a big pile and literally (laughs) crushed them. Yeah, nobody thought twice about it really and and that pretty much crushed the idea of... I mean, of course, there's still a small amount of guns on the black market there in Australia, which there would be here too. Um, even if there was a buyback program. Um, but I still hope and I think it's possible to happen here. Mm. Although it feels, it, it does feel harder as a, uh, a foreign... Things happen in the States that seem super hard and then all of a sudden it becomes normalized yeah. and then it's not hard. The civil yeah. rights movement, the, the gay marriage situation, yeah. marijuana is probably going to be legal within <clears throat> the next you know 10 years, I would hope. Yeah. And that... 10 years ago seemed impossible mm-hmm. you know it just like takes enough people saying say no. this is what is normal yeah. now yeah okay this is not okay yep. yeah and i mean some same... reason guns that doesn't happen yet yeah i think it'll always be a, a tough thing but uh it's it, at least it's an issue right at the kind of forefront that more people are not afraid to talk about as americans i'm still a little bit afraid to talk about it yeah. as an australian because it feels a little bit like, oh, yeah, you just come in here and, yeah, you fix things in your country, but you don't know what's going on but here. But you've been so. coming in and out of here for many years. I mean, I saw you yeah. in L.A. probably close to 10 years ago now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, both Claire and I have a love affair with America that, you know, I first came almost 10 years ago, 2010, and and then it's been, yeah, off and on for the last eight, nine years, and... 
I love it. Can't get enough of it. So that song, what what does the American dream as an outsider coming in look like to you? Yeah. Uh, well, I think Australians are similar to people in a lot of other countries. We grow up with like a lot of American media and this fantastical idea that it is the place where you can dream anything and you can dream as big as you want and anything's possible because in Australia those kind of things are squashed by uh, tall poppy syndrome which you know the what it, syndrome it, tall poppies um, don't ask me the exact <laughs> history of explain <laughs> so basically the idea is that when they get too tall you got to cut them down and so that's what we do as fellow Australian citizens to make sure our friends and family don't mm. become too full of themselves mm. and big headed yes. and um it happened yesterday Overconfident. at immigration. I went through and I, we're both on extraordinary ability visas. They're called O1, or extraordinary aliens. And that's what uh, Americans call us. And he's like, oh, so you're on, o, on O1, so you, um, you're extraordinary, are you? And I was like, that's what they tell me. And he's like, you don't believe it? And I was like, I'm Australian. I, I'm bred not to believe it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a humbleness, I find, of other nations and I always remember that study they did of, of the United States where they found that in all the abilities of a lot of the school age kids, they're, you know, way behind in math. They're, you know, not as good at, at a lot of cognitive reasoning stuff, mm-hmm. but they're number one in the world in self-confidence. Oh, yes. yes. But that's one of the things we love about Americans. That's And that's one of the things we came here to learn for ourselves because... The lack of self-esteem uh, is <laughs> pretty common in Australia, and I grew up in a family where... Does where does that come from? Um, I, it probably comes from the British convict thing. You know, mm. we all got sent over for stealing a piece of bread, and and then, you know, we've, we've got to just play it cool and, uh, yeah, not get too cocky. And um, Has your family been in Australia for a long time? Um, several, several generations. Like... Yeah, as far as as far back as I know, you know, I don't know any relatives who were born outside of Australia. So, um, but it's definitely a British heritage and Scottish, you know, dark and gloomy, and and so it's a little more pessimistic uh, view on things. But back to your original <laughs> question, uh, we definitely came to America. Like the song, uh, yeah, there is some sarcasm and stuff in there, but it really was because we love American music and the traditions of it and we wanted to come and kind of live and breathe it and walk down the streets that you're singing about and meet some of the people who made this music. Um, and so that's what we came here to do. And I guess, yeah, because in Australia you can only go so far and then people cut you down. <laughs> so, um, what, about, what about your family? My family? Uh like uh, in line, bloodline or yeah, like we're well. Have I'm been in Australia for a long time. No, my um, grandmother and grandfather were both Greek, so mm. uh, yeah, they came over from Greece, and so my Australian heritage is much shorter. On my dad's side, it's longer, but um, yeah, I've got a lot of Greek in me. <laughs> Can you just read the lyrics to the chorus of that song? Yeah. Um, 
of the chorus. Okay. No, I don't actually context. have them in front of me, do it. Uh, <laughs> it's like the alphabet. You've got to start right at the beginning. You just hum it. Yeah. <clears throat> um, America, won't you make my dreams come true? America, won't you make it all come true? Give me the first verse. Okay. Like Red. pretend it's slam poetry. <laughs> um, Red is the color of your heart, is the color of my skin, is the color of your window pane that you've been feeling every morning. Now you can't stop yawning. Oxygen to your brain. Like Do you think we, I have a future don't you feel in, like lyrics should, be, should yes. be appreciated as poetry more often? I agree. I totally agree. Uh, like we never actually hear our own lyrics yeah, spoken. It was actually right? really nice. It's kind of cool. Continue. It's actually, second verse. Uh, uh, well, that's actually sung by Claire. No, no, Blue first. Oh. I'm not going to be able to speak mine. I'll have to sing it. <laughs> blue is the color of the sea, is the color of your fingernails digging in my back. We're singing like we're on a cruise ship coming from down under. There you go. Or should I say, there you go. (laughs) We're on track to America. America. Yeah. I always want to know this question, and I never get a full real answer. Why do people from other countries who have accents not sing with those accents? Because your accent goes away when you sing. It's Why? Uh... It's actually hard to sing with an Australian accent. Well, I don't I think find. it's I don't think it's hard to but when you're looking towards music like the music that I've idolized comes from America or England which uh, interestingly enough that ha- the same thing yeah, happens. Like the Rolling Stones aren't singing with a British accent. Well, yeah. cuz they they were dreaming of coming to America yeah. and well, no, I, I absolutely agree that rounding your R's is easier for singing. Hmm. So, because uh, I, I don't think, I think there's a universal way of singing and it, it does round your R's, which is what Americans do. So I don't know if we're singing with American accents, but we're... Around? I can't remember. Well, we don't use R's at all, basically. Yeah. Australians. We're just, ah. Yeah. <laughs> It's hard to, yeah, the rhyming schemes and, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, Why did you feel I think like we close up when you ask this question because it's the same thing my grandpa argued because he worries about like his patriotic nature of being an Australian and not wanting to be an American. It's confronting that, that we're sounding more American when we sing. And when I try to say to him, you know, it is a universal language that a lot of it was invented in America. So what was the music your grandpa was into? Um, I don't know, whatever they listen to in dental surgeries. Um, <laughs> He's a dentist, right? <laughs> yeah, he ran a dentistry for like 40 years. So uh, just something, through, super a cr- zen. something through a crappy little speaker in an elevator. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good question. I, I never asked him. You guys have free health care in Australia? Yes. Do. Lucky ducks. Yeah. Completely. Um, you sure you want to come visit at last? <laughs> we're, we're, we're on travel tra- insurance. We've got travel right insurance. Now. Yep. <laughs> Why did you come all the way over here to make this record? Don't you have studios mm-hmm. 4,000 miles away? I think, you know, I grew up in the one place, Thornbury, which is like northern suburbs of Melbourne. And 
you know, on and off, staying with my parents, like pretty much living with them my whole life and uh, always finding myself back there. So I was feeling like I, I hadn't really grown up, hadn't left the nest. And so I really just had to get out of the whole country to um, feel like I was progressing or evolving forward in my own life. And I always just feel really excited in America. I feel mm. inspired. I have better bowel movements. I, it's true. It's like, I'm not really saying that as a joke. People it just, sometimes have the opposite when they're traveling. I know. How long is the flight from Melbourne to LA? 13 hours, 50 minutes or something. Uh, and yeah, I'm just as regular as... <laughs> a, well, I'm glad we have that on tape, you know. But maybe that's because in Australia, I, I you know, I clench up a little bit. I, no, I, sl I sleep in so much, uh, and then when we get here with the time zone change, I'm just perfectly in order. Mm. Um, but that kind of, you know, people talk about gut health, you know, affecting everything in your life, and uh, <laughs> now we're going into a health talk. No, I mean, I, I just feel better here um let's go back into that america <laughs> self-confidence boost maybe that Ooh. is sort of a thing there's a, uh, the first track on the new record symmetry has this oh, line yeah. i love called uh, where you're like i don't trust myself on days like these tell me about that line well that song that was i was going through you know it's cliche but uh going through major kind of writer's block or uh, lack of self-confidence uh, in the feeling of can I even write a song and you know it's sort of it it built over many years of like huge amount of touring I was just on the road so many days of the year and addicted to that rush of going to a new town and just the logistics of like having to get on a plane or in a car and go and do the show and and having an audience to um, give you that feedback and yeah, that like, energy. Oh, look, I'm doing okay. Yeah. People are clapping. And that became a sort of method of, of going away from not actually writing songs. And, and then one day I sort of woke up and thought, oh, I've got to write some new songs and we need to make a new album. And so then I went out and spent heaps of money buying recording gear. And then that just sat in the box, just terrified to open the box. Like, or what if I don't know how to use the recording gear and make my voice sound good? And then finally, I don't know, just after like a couple of weeks of sitting in this bungalow in Glassell Park, just really delving into feeling terrible about myself. And Claire was out. She was songwriting and producing with people every day. You know, she'd leave the house 10 a.m. and do a full day of songwriting and come back with these fully made amazing tracks and I'd just be starting to make a cup of coffee and finally after two weeks of just really feeling like crap I think it was actually longer okay yeah. two months <laughs> two months and I was terrified you know just crying I don't know like really yeah it wasn't that it wasn't song good. finally came out and and it was about that feeling uneasy and trying to have everything in order and everything in a straight line you know including like making trying to make the bed are you a perfectionist to, yes. i think so but i think it's also just a means of procrastination you know if it's not perfect 
then it it's it shouldn't done. yeah it's not done and yeah. it shouldn't exist so it's basically just a form of of never signing off but yeah that song was terrifying and then terrifyingly rewarding when I finally Claire got home and I sung it to her and I just bawled my eyes I was like waiting every day I'd come home and I'm like come on he just needs to start like because the way we write Geordie's music for him is he starts and then I'll come in and and help finish or and some of the songs we started together but most we he begins them and and it was so important for him to begin this album in that way and when he sung me that song I mean it's actually only half the song on the recording but it's yeah it's kind it of was, like almost like a prelude of the record right yeah it was the beginning of everything then everything just sort of started to roll and uh, yeah it was an important day tell yeah. me tell me a little more <clears throat> about how those songs get made so you start with chords or, or words or both yeah sometimes it's like just a concept like i want to tell a story about this how can i do it and then Claire and I might both be together and, and, and start doing that. But most of the time, it's uh, with a guitar, usually somebody else's guitar. If there's someone else's guitar lying around that I'm not as precious about, you know, because half the time when I'm writing a song on my own guitar, I'm like, man, the intonation's really out there on the fifth fret of B string. I've got to get a perfectionist. I got to get 100%. that. I got to get that fixed. And then it's like, how can I write a song? This guitar's out of tune. <laughs> This is not good enough. Uh, <laughs> but when, you know, it's the same if someone else says, hey, you want this shirt? And I wear it and I, I, I feel good about it because I'm not putting as much pressure on it. It's, um, yeah, somehow take myself out of myself anyway. Which is how we recorded a lot of the time. Like with Geordie, he Pretend to be up, someone else. Um, when he does vocals. So we would like start by I'd be like sing the song Neil Diamond Neil Young style <laughs> or Neil Diamond yeah. in fact or Willie Nelson or and so he would do many takes of different people and then I'd be like now do it Geordie Lane and then he would do it and but by that stage he would be so like loosened up and relaxed um the uh the song uh Out of State I was a big fan of yeah it kind of sounds like there's almost Tibetan singing bowls at the end. Like, like you ever been in a sound bath? Yes. Yes. We went to the one in Joshua Tree. The, the Integratron. Integratron. Yeah. Were you inspired by that in that song, or was that totally unrelated? So, like, yeah, some of the production of, of that song came off the back of an earlier record I made out in Joshua Tree um, called Blood Thinner, and that was in a, a motel room that I'd recorded most of the record so it was whatever I had like acoustic guitar I didn't have a keyboard at the time but I wanted some kind of drone sound so I found some wine glasses and uh played the rim of the wine glasses to create all right so chords. similar situation um I think on out of state though we're actually using uh some sort of synth yeah I think on that in the end uh and then that's just sort of opening and closing a filter um but it, it definitely came from that period of, of trying to get this kind of drony, trancey sort of feel. Yeah. 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 And the the idea of everybody thinks you're doing fine. Yeah. Right. And that you're putting on sort of this strong 
face for people. Yeah. You know, I think as a performer, a lot of times you have to go up there with a certain uh, other personality, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. To really, you know, like you said, sing like Neil Young. Yeah. You know, get up there, pretend you're not you, then maybe you yeah. can be you. Because sometimes exactly. being you is the hardest thing, right? Too much, yeah. I think so. And yeah, in some respect, being a musician is like being an actor. Um, but you are trying to get to the heart of of you so that people listening can get to the heart of, get to themselves, like actually feel something. And uh, yeah, that's, I guess that's just often the most terrifying thing to do to actually feel something. Um, and yeah, that line was probably written on like, just going out on too many benders, drinking, you know, saying I'm partying, I'm having a great time. Um, but yeah, it was all just avoiding again. When you're, when you're on tour, what is your worst habit? My worst habit. Mine is probably watching Law and Order SVU till 3 a.m. Oh, yes. Wow. We definitely do that. that if it's if if that's available at <laughs> yeah. the motel, SVU. It's like you don't need to watch the next episode, yeah. but then it starts that music automatically. begins and you're like, oh, just one more. I think probably my worst habit is um if SVU's not on, um settling for NCIS. Oh, <laughs> I was going to ask that you is, what your guilty pleasure was, but let's just uh, there two it is. birds with two one stone. One. We, were, we were watching that the other night. And it was the Los Angeles one. You're too, looking that it? up and oh. they're like, this is the most watched television show in the world. I'm like, gosh. I yeah. think it's because there's so many. There's Los Angeles, there's Las Vegas, there's New Orleans. Yeah. I think my, uh, my wife is an actor in town here and they keep bringing her out She's to audition for no she wants oh. to be yeah. they'll they'll audition her for like crying woman in bathroom oh. <laughs> we were just talking about this i want to have an awards for all extras that are like the crying woman in bath like when do they get awarded like maybe they did a great performance and nobody recognizes them because i was picturing like when you're in that role and you're i keep whenever i see an extra like that i'm like and they're like dead corpse on in morgue. I'm like, I reckon there's a party going on where all the friends like, and family come are come me and watch in me this episode be a of SVU. Yeah. I just love that idea. <laughs> Can you imagine the cheers of the friends in the living room? They're like, Yeah, there he is. Dead. You're dead. There's that classic <laughs> film, The Big Chill, where oh, uh, about the group movie. of friends and I think it's Kevin Costner plays the dead friend, oh, but they yeah. cut the scenes, I think, oh, when right. he was alive. Yeah. So he's just in it as a dead person for like five <laughs> minutes. Hey, that's, that's awesome. a scene is a scene, I think. <laughs> if you could describe the other person as a movie that exists, how would you, how would you describe them? Wow. Never had that question. That's an amazing question. Gee, can you give us... 30 minutes and we'll come back to it. Geordie's <laughs> we'll, we'll movie it. is definitely oh. complex. It's probably like um, Eternal Sunshine. What's that one? Oh, Spotless Mind. Spotless Mind or The Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's like so much complexity to Geordie's movie. And it's so entertaining and brilliant at the same time. But it takes some time to understand. Yeah, mm-hmm. like you might need to like watch it a few times. And like you'll you'll see different things every time, 
That's Geordie's movie. I'm I'm flattered. Love both those movies. Uh, <laughs> and then you would have to be a, a rom com. Yeah. Right, although, like, I'm probably influenced <laughs> because I know how much you love, love rom coms. Um, I don't know. Maybe like when Harry met Sally. Or, oh, um, yes. <laughs> I'll be Meg Ryan right now. <laughs> I'll have what she's having. <laughs> I have to ask you this question, and I've been meaning to ask on a couple episodes, and I keep forgetting. So we did this uh, radio show in Michigan at the college in Michigan State, and this young student interviewer, it was her first time she'd ever interviewed someone, and she had asked some normal questions, and then all of a sudden she was like, if you had to eat a wooden door, how would you do it? We were wow. like, what? <laughs> but it was like, so I told her, I was cool. like, one day I'm going to ask that same question because it's so weird. But also like, for me, I was like, okay, I think maybe I'll, I would shave oh, some yeah. of the wood off and like stew it maybe with some oh, spices. Yeah. We need know. to soften that I've already, thing up. I've already thought. Okay. What do you got? Um, well, I saw, you know, those infomercials, those type of graters that can create um, spaghetti-like mm-hmm. shavings. Right. Um. Yeah, I I could see now turning that wooden door into big long spaghetti or uh, fettuccine, um, and then just cook that up like normal pasta, and hopefully have some basil in the backyard that could make a pesto out of a bit of garlic. Um, get that going in the pan, and then. Woody's a very good cook. If you hadn't noticed from um, this talk, uh, if if you're eating meat. It's just some crispy little bits of meat in there. So well, maybe you could, or does it just have to be the door on its own? But you could, Probably. you could fry up the door, like tiny bits of the door, and that become the meat. Like, kind of like a tofu. Like a tofu. Yeah. yeah. Like maybe some spice on the, on the like. Yeah. Or oh, crispy tofu with um, like uh, spicy salt and mm. like a sort of Vietnamese style. Mm-hmm. <laughs> delicious. I this mean, is a great it question. Could, could be delicious. Unfortunately, <laughs> this room doesn't have a door. But it does have a lot of wood. We could really knock this thing up. <laughs> we could feed a town. <laughs> Stone soup, you know, people used to make that. So, how do you arrange your harmonies, which are so beautiful? Mm. Hey. Mostly they just come. Is it by instinct? Yeah. I think, well, I think a lot of the time... I try to force something that's more structured onto yeah. you. So I'm like, oh, no, can can you sing the third on this bit and then and jump then to I the fifth, fifth on that? And you're like, <laughs> just let me do what I do. And then... If it doesn't come. work, I'll do it. Because, yeah, I've, I've got the idea of structure in my mind where Claire is more about letting... Um, something unknown happen, which then can become the structured idea. And so I always do need to learn about that. But, yeah, so it's definitely just... It's a push and pull of both. So, yeah, I try and be free and then if it doesn't work, I'll I'll try Geordie's third <laughs> or go to the fifth. <laughs> so it's a combo. And I love singing with I love singing with Geordie's voice. So for me, I don't need to think too much. I can just... Uh, follow, follow that, and so most of the time it, it works because of that. I can, I my yeah. So Do I guess that is a heart 
motion that I'm trusting in. How did you guys meet? I was running a In The Round song night in Brisbane in Australia about, oh, in 2011. Yeah. And Geordie was coming through town and we had friends of friends that knew each other. And um, so we booked him to come and play and that was the first time I'd ever met him or heard him sing. And, yeah, that's the day we met. Yeah. And it was the best thing. I hadn't done many in the round kind of things, which at that time the term in the round, most people in Australia didn't even know what was happening. It's become a lot more common now. Yeah, now that we've spent a lot of time in North America, it's like half of what you do at festivals. Um right. Or I guess I call them workshops in Canada, maybe. But uh, and that's why I started it because I was going to Nashville and and going to these nights and seeing it happen, and then coming home and wanting to collaborate with people. And in Australia, particularly at that time, it's much better now. But it's still not that great about collaboration. And pe- and I'd be like, let's write a song, and they'd be like, ah, uh, I'm cool. I can write on my own. I'm like, I know you can write on your own, but we could write something together. And so I just had such a craving to get people together and and get people playing together and mm. that's how it began so it was really american inspired thought and yeah we yeah started writing a couple of songs together just just for the hell of it um up there and and then i asked claire to play keys on one of my tours um at some festivals and then we discovered it worked really well like the harmonizing thing uh something about our Claire can lock into a vibrato however fast or slow I'm doing it and and kind of sink in with those those ups and downs of the sound and uh yeah that's I think that's what we do that kind of gets people because we sort of start to become part of one thing when we're singing together well, there is kind of a celestial molecular thing when like voices really mm, do thread really together, you yeah. know, if you could sing or collaborate with an artist dead or alive, mm. who would it be? Well, I've, I've already talked to Claire about yeah. this and she's like, <clears throat> excuse me, fine. <laughs> just kick me out. Why don't you? I'm saying so, that both of you can um, collaborate with them. Yeah. Well, no, oh, like I would love to be there too. <laughs> one person one. I've always wanted to, yeah, have the experience of uh, singing with or doing a duet is Emmy Lou Harris, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I think we could do it as yeah. the three of us. Oh, I'd be magical, Emmy Lou, if you're out there, <laughs> call us. <laughs> um, yeah, that would be special. Yeah, we'd like that. What about you? It would yeah. have to be Carol King, hundred percent. Mm. She's my favourite. Yeah. Did you see the musical? I have not seen it. We were going to see it in Melbourne and, and didn't get there. So it's one thing I've got to do. That'd be awesome. But she uh, is my main inspiration as a mm. songwriter. Yep. You remember the That's first record you bought on your own? Uh, yeah. Uh, it was the single of the Macarena. <laughs> I thought it was the Spice Girls. Well, that was the first single I bought in collaboration with my best friend. It was $5. We only had $2.50 each. Because, um, yeah, records are more expensive in Australia. Even back then in the 90s, it was yeah. $5 for the Spice Girls Wannabe. So it was between Wannabe and the Macarena. I was always, I, I liked, you know, the cutting edge pop of the time. 
<laughs> I think mine was Led Zeppelin. I was obsessed. Oh, right. Yeah, no, just I... wait. She was already cool. <laughs> um, uh, then I then I got into pop. I I totally went there. I'm still there in some ways. I, I liked Sweet. a bit of rock rap. Uh, I I yeah, loved getting did. into um, well, Rage Against the Machine. That was my big big thing. Um, and then what was that other band? The... Did you rebel against your parents when you were young? Not so much. No, I just uh, cowered in fear when I got home, you know, past the curfew. I completely, I was like, you know, mummy and daddy's boy. I was, they weren't very strict. Uh, you know, every now and then when it started getting out of control, you know, when we're still at school, you know, be like, you've got to be home by 3 a.m. <laughs> and I'm like, yes. Yes, I will. And then it's out there on the streets with friends drinking and being silly and, you know, gets to 4 a.m. and then I arrive home and, yeah, they were there, stern chat. Um, and, yeah, I would feel awful about myself and try and redeem myself. So, yeah, but, no, my parents are both performers and sort of not musicians but uh, in that world and so I sort of always felt like following music as a passion was they were like yeah all right do what you want but you know how tough it is to earn a living but all right so I always had that acceptance from them I guess and all of my other friends were like you know had to hide the fact that they were into music so yeah I mean my parents were very supportive of me but they are not musical at all, and I I don't know where it came from, and um, and I was an I was actually an opera singer, and they were they were totally into that. So when I went to the conservatorium, and then halfway through that, I I did graduate, but I was starting to write songs, and they were still supportive, but they were like not quite as keen that I didn't want to be in the classical world. Well, you said your teachers at the school were not oh, into actually, crossing genres. They actually, they spoke to me so many times about you can't, like you can't talk to the jazz department, you can't be in music theatre, you have to only, you can't write songs. And I was like, I'm going to do whatever I want. Why not? You, as soon as you tell me I can't do so, I'm going to do it. And then they actually at one point asked me to leave. Oh. And I said no. So I continued. <laughs> um, but they made my life hell. I, I, yeah, I went through quite some traumatic experience there. Who are you listening to right now that's inspiring you? Yeah, besides well, I, Neil Diamond, you know. Of course. It's... I thought you might ask this question, so I prepare, tried to prepare, and I couldn't come up with anything. I, <laughs> I don't listen I, to music personally. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know that that's not very inspiring for you or anyone out there to hear, but I don't listen to music that much. Uh, are you listening I, to podcasts? I'm listening to, mm, yeah, a lot of podcasts. podcasts. I've listened to you <laughs> most recently. Uh, I'm, I always listen to my morning NPR up first. Even when I'm in Australia, it's, you know, it's a day behind, but um, love a bit of that. Um, yeah, the New York Times, the Daily is always like, what do you want to be depressed about today? <laughs> How about I can't, uh, I can't. raids on a Nigerian village or maybe <laughs> a so Wall Street depressed. collapsing? Or, <laughs> like Michael Obar is always like the most concerned person in the world. He's just like, so what 
what what should we do now? Oh, <laughs> no, the the up first edition is just twelve minutes of just uh, keeping up to speed with the White House or what what um what Trump's done today. So, um, yeah, I find that uh, soothing when I'm having a shower. <laughs> you do. You're always listening to it. I have to like tune out because I'm like, I don't want to know. <laughs> The song uh, Get Lost in You, which I really loved from that uh, Not Built to Last record, um, feels like it talks about almost like falling in love or, or, mm-hmm. or uh, st- staying awake too long and like you go into this new dimension mm-hmm. or something when you yeah. are in this first blush of love. Yeah. Do you feel like that's kind of what happens when you write a new song that you fall in love with? Definitely. Yeah, because... Usually, for me anyway, writing a song usually happens in those wee hours of the morning when everyone else is asleep and I'm starting to go into a delirious, delusional state and I, I am aware that it's happening and I love it. I absolutely love it. Do you ever it. have dreams where you wake up and have to write down stuff? Not as much as I would like. I, I think I've only once or twice like come out with a full melody or actual full verse of a lyric from a dream um i would love to tap into that more i'm sure there's stuff going on but i hardly ever do but i did this morning i woke up with lyrics in my what do you brain. got what do you oh, got no, it's gone <laughs> but i remember like i gotta i gotta write it down and then it was gone so and maybe it'll come back i believe good ideas come back so i'm hoping for that yeah they do keep sort of following you um but yeah that that lost in you song was first really inspired by running out of petrol uh, gas on the wrong side of town, like where, sorry, now I'm quoting the actual lyric. Um, give me, all right, give me that first verse. <laughs> yeah, slam it, baby. Um, slam it. Or maybe it's the second verse. <laughs> I broke down on the rich side of town, no choice but to sit and stew. I watched out my window at Women in Haste with $1,000 coats around their size four waists that were tripping over one another's shoes. I'd wear my soles thin, but I'd still be lost in you. Um, yep. And the page anyway. comes in. If somebody's tuning in right at that point, they'll be like, oh, who is this wanker? <laughs> <laughs> um, they don't really use that term enough in America. Yeah, we'd like to bring wanker. that in. Did it... I know a lot of people who are wankers oh, that we yeah. can apply it to. Okay. You know. Yeah. Good. What, what is the... Well, if we if this... If jerk, someone in Australia... Is it like a jerk? Like a jerk. Yeah. Asshole? Yeah. It would be exactly jerk yeah. because I imagine jerk comes from the act of the same thing that uh, wanking uh, refers to. Yeah, yeah but a, a good wank is a, is a nice thing. You know? <laughs> it doesn't seem... It is healthy, I think. You know, it's not accepted in... We're coming back um, to the health topic here. <laughs> uh, what is the m- most you've ever stayed awake? You, can you remember? Uh, yeah. I... One of the most was when I got a call um, from the agent for a Canadian band called The Week Events. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I didn't know them at the time, but someone said, my agent said, do you want to do a national tour with them in Australia? They've sought you out. They've found your music and they love it. Do you want to do this tour? And it was like huge venues. And uh, I was so excited. I mean, at the time I was just like kind of, business brain i'm like great yep that's a good fee um get me around the country uh great and then i just went into this manic state and it was probably it was over 50 hours um 
definitely. Yeah, it was more than two days. Um, what were you doing in that time? Uh, I did a lot of like Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's what I do in my spare thing. time. I love uh, doing... <laughs> Living dangerously. <laughs> rock and roll 101. Yeah, that's the modern day rock and roller. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do some accounting. Um, and that's what I actually did on the plane flight uh, over to the US. I There's something I find really soothing in in mathematics in that at least to my knowledge there is one way for that equation to come out right and you know when you've well hopefully you know when you've done it wrong if you're using an excel spreadsheet correctly you will know when you've done it wrong and whereas writing a lyric or the way you sing a song there's so many ways to do it right that you just think that every way could also be doing it wrong so that comes back to that self-confidence thing. but So that's why I've always loved numbers because they just they seem a little less emotional to me. It gives me a little time out from getting too introspective. <laughs> what was the biggest rock star moment that you feel like you've had, like when you got out there in front of the biggest crowd you've ever played to? Like how did that feel? Uh, just doing the job. I'm just trying to think what that Maybe moment was. Maybe Moody Blues? Was that the biggest? Or? <laughs> that was fun. Mates I, and <laughs> so I did a tour, yeah, I did a tour opening for the Moody Blues in Australia and I, yeah, I think they were like 5,000 seater um, audiences and, but I had a lot of restrictions put on me. The tour manager said to me, uh, the American crew with them and he'd been their tour manager for a long time, he said, now, Jory, I just want you to know before you start this tour, you sounded pretty much like that. Um, I love when American accents happen from people from not, not from America. I just want you to know, the Moody Blues, they never have an opener, okay? Never. You're the first opener. Do you know who the last band was to open for the Moody Blues? And I'm like, no, no, I don't. And he's like, that would have been a little band called... The Beatles. <laughs> so I, when you go out there tonight, I want you to remember that. And I'm like, whoa, what a great pep talk. <laughs> yeah, um, thanks kind of. for relaxing me. <laughs> go to my green room and I'm like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that, they were crazy. I had 12 minutes a night on wow, stage. that's it? No more, no less. Wait, not even, they couldn't do 15, like a right, nice yeah. round nope, number? Nope. I think How'd they it, come up with that number? I think it was a mathematical equation. <laughs> four songs. That, it was a mathematical equation uh divided by how long they were on stage because in Australia and probably in most of the world, your royalty rights association at certain size venues, they all have to pay fees. You know, say it's ASCAP or in Australia, APRA, the size of the venue, they have to pay a fee determined by that. If it's a big tour, the band themselves has to pay that fee for their own songwriting. What? Um, or the, yeah. the promoter, the venue. Um, and so, and then that fee gets returned to the songwriters of the songs that were played. And so this is my calculations anyway. So if I only have 12 minutes, that's less of the APRA fee that they had to pay back to me. And still 12 minutes worth was a very nice, after like eight shows with them, I got a quite a large amount for playing those three. Oh, I played four songs at one and a half times speed. So, and then I had just enough time to tell the audience that I had 
silver and gold sharpies to sign anything <laughs> they desired. Um, and that middle-aged crowd of, well, older-aged crowd of uh, British expats in Australia. Did loved, they embrace you? They loved it. They're like, oh, yeah, you signed me arm. Thanks, mate. <laughs> um, I'm like, oh, maybe a CD. Would you like mm. to buy one of them? Um, <laughs> if you had one more day to live and you could pack one bag. Oh, God. What would be in it? And what, a wooden what album? door. <laughs> and what, so al- what album would be in it? Um, before, you, before you left to outer space. Yep. Now, all I'm thinking of still is shaving <laughs> up a wooden door. Um, my favourite book would be in my bag, Modoc, which is about the greatest elephant that ever lived. Okay. Yes. And my album of choice would be uh, probably a Bob Marley album. Not Tapestry? <laughs> um, it's, it's already in my head. Okay. I don't need it. I don't need to hear it. All right. I, so yeah, if you're if you're escaping a disintegrating Earth for yeah, it would outer space, you need like some oh something some, joyful. Yeah, lifting your spirits yeah, as you yeah. leave. I'm still I'm still stuck. I'm the guy who doesn't listen to music. Um, <laughs> oh, maybe <baby>, do. <laughs> there's so many flowing around my head. Um, All right. What else would be in the, in the go bag? Uh, some avocados, lemons. Vegemite. Some toasted Turkish bread. Because when we travel, a lot of the time we have to split a bag in half. So is that, do we have one bag or do we get no, one you bag each? No, you each get oh one bag. Oh, my God, this is a luxury. We were thinking of the imaginary line down the middle of a suitcase that we usually have. Um, but we'd both have Vegemite. Vegemite, yeah. for sure. What is Vegemite again? Oh, have we got some with us uh, on this trip? Oh, no. Didn't bring it. It's in storage. Uh it is a yeast extract that kind of tastes like concentrated beef stock. <laughs> I'm not making you sick. <laughs> it and you, sounds and you, terrific. Oh, it's like a paste. And you spread yeah, it. Yeah, very lightly on. Americans so, tend to well, spread it like if you don't know peanut butter. how strong it is, yeah, you would overspread. Strong, yeah. like beefy, like like no, 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 sorry, no, no, beef no. is the wrong like word. Like salty, it's, it's salty. It's a very salty. Uh, black almost like dark brown colored spread that how did um, that become a thing down under probably from england because there's promite and um marmite Marmite. they're english but basically it works as this great salty tart tasting thing that you you put like uh say four fifths of it is butter and then just one fifth tiny little pea of Mm, uh, you spread dabs. that bit over the top, then a bit of avocado. It's amazing. Because we've had some, yeah, friends over here have just awful times. Like if you, yeah, spread it like jelly or, or peanut butter, you're gonna, your mouth's going to be on fire for a day. All right, so we're putting in some avocados, mm-hmm. some lemons, some Vegemite, a little Bob Marley. Mm-hmm. Um, you're never coming back to Earth. You know, this is, this is your last... Last I mean, I, I was going to say my laptop, but why would you? Because, like, you know, you can't... You'd need the power supply. You'd need internet. Just throw that out. Like, um... I'd probably take that little guitar that I, I gave to the owner of this house that we're in. It's like a little, um... Travel like, guitar? It, well, it's like a Sears catalogue guitar from the 50s or something. Mm. Um, it's just awesome. Yeah, it's a small little parlour guitar. Yeah, I'd take the 
maybe a tennis ball to use to like get those knots out of your back. Mm. I don't know. I don't know if we need a lot. If we're leaving and like there's there's a new clothing. I mean, sure. I like. I like a spare. Couple of pairs of undies. Yep. You know, a t-shirt. <laughs> This is riveting stuff. Uh, you're listening Cut. to the show on the road. <laughs> Sorry, man. No, this is... I, I keep thinking, like, if we had to, like, go right now. Because there, there's all this talk also about the big earthquake that's going to happen mm-hmm. in California. Mm-hmm. Yep. And my wife is increasingly like, why don't we have gallons of water? Oh, you know, yeah. or, or why don't we... We need to be prepared. Mm. Yep. And where would we go? You know, if you had to get out, you know? Yeah. And, you know, your family is, my family's back in the Midwest. Her family's on the East Coast. And we don't really have a bunch of, you know, people outside the immediate area that we can Mm. just go to, you know? I'd probably head out to Joshua Tree, but I'm, I know the San Andreas fault line, like, right through Yeah, it's probably the worst place you could go. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, my first thought would be, while we're in America, is my passport, but that's if... We can even fly out of mm. the country. A good bottle of tequila. Yep. We love a tequila. Just to kind of, yeah, if we're going to sit there and die or whatever, yeah, a sort of mezcal. Sort mm. of, yeah. I'm to ask about one more song <laughs> because <laughs> your, songs are, your songs are amazing. Uh, a Piece of Land, which is oh, off yeah. the new one, has this line about uh, losing your mind in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. And then you went home slept with your ex and she says you've put on weight <laughs> yeah it's like exactly what your ex would say just to kind of like stab you in the stab you <laughs> can you read me that verse uh, can you slam me that verse yeah um, I'll do it in a thick Aussie accent great um, I blew in and out of Berlin I drove out to the east I lost my mind in Amsterdam. I was sure the sign read coffee. I woke in a pile of piss. The police were laughing in my face. So I went back home, slept with my ex. She said, boy, you've put on weight. <laughs> there's, something, there's something about that that reminds me of, like, the the reason I think why a lot of maybe guys write songs is subconsciously to impress their ex. Mm. <laughs> I think like, it's like they gave up on us, Yeah. but they're going to regret it Yeah. because of this song. Totally. It's one of my favorite lines to sing when we play it live is that line. I... It is. It's fun because it might be really, um, Upsetting if we were actually if we were singing about each other. Oh yeah, that would be quite hurtful every night to <laughs> say you're fat, you're fat, you're fat. Um, <laughs> I mean fat like cool. You're fat. Oh pH you're fat. pH fat. Um, yeah, I think that song was fun and important to write because that is all true. And like my mum, she's a comedian back home, and she's tried to write novels like dead set I'm going to write a novel and she goes I I can't think of like I can't make something up and then she goes back to what really happened and then that of course you can uh, she's a comedian yeah 
very, very big one, yeah. So does she make fun of you on stage? She did, yeah, probably, you know, first 20 years of my life, uh, myself, my sister and my dad, divide that by three, so, uh, get back to the mathematics, 33.33. It was even... Even scorn. Split. Yep. Okay. Someone has the thirty-three point three four in the split. Gets maybe a little that would dad. He'd be the point three four. Dab is definitely the one that she could freely, completely make fun of, and he just loves it. Loves it all. Well, he's a Th- clown. I don't know if you knew that. Thinks she's the funniest thing in the world. He's not like metaphorically a clown. He's no, no, he truly. Yeah. Yes. That was how my parents met in traveling theater troupe, and uh. Yeah, my mum grew up knowing that she never, like, she hated clowns. And then <laughs> that's what she got together with. So, um, but yeah, we were totally fine with mum making fun of us because we knew very well that that was how we got food on the table. That was how we got a pair of Reeboks or something. Um, actually, we, I never got Reebok pumps. I just got some little... Suede Thanks, version. Mom. Yeah. No, I did get a pair of Reeboks, but classy suede ones. Mm. So, so I was probably, but re- really, I just wanted the pumps like everyone else. Do you remember had. a sp- specific joke that was about you that like, uh, really got people laughing? Yeah. Uh, so I that must know. take a certain thick skin when you're a kid, right? I. It was fine. It was just part of our life like the only thing that we got teased for at school was people teasing us for being rich and that really upset me because I'm like we are not rich (laughs) we and 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 so I don't like people saying something that's not true so that was the main thing kids got threatened by the fact that we had a famous mum so we must be rich so therefore you know we've got it easy so um what's your mum's name Denise Scott uh, and yeah, she's on a bunch of television shows back in Australia and, uh, got a bunch of books out, which are all based on the truth. <laughs> anyway, just, just that idea of needing something truthful and honest, uh, to start your story from, um, because, you know, then say the mathematics of it can work out because if it really happened, then, uh, you don't have to keep lying your way out of it. Well, I think getting permission from your parents to be a performer and mm. to inhabit sort of different personas is yeah. pretty powerful, you know? Yeah, and it definitely we did take that for granted. My little sister rebelled against it. She did become an artist, a visual artist, said, vowed to never be a performer on stage, but just recently she has started working herself into her artworks in the physical space, being a performer as part of that artwork. So can't escape it in our family. And uh, yeah, I, I'm now aware and eternally grateful that that I have had that upbringing. Um, yeah. I want you to think of the first thing that comes to your mind when I say unicorns. Well, I said behind me. Because <laughs> I say kindness is magic because I think magic and I'm looking at your hat. <laughs> so we're just, we're just going on there's what's no, in the room. No, there's no wrong answer. <laughs> I right. thought you were referring to like a movie with unicorns in it. 
But that was the catchphrase. Kindness is magic. <laughs> I'm a unicorn. Puff the magic dragon. All right, when I say the I word... I think a pointy... Yeah. Horn. <laughs> when I say the word... Sky. Right now. That's what I'm looking blue at. Blue sky. <laughs> yeah, we don't get to look at the blue sky when we do this podcast most This is pretty nice. Often. Isn't that a Wilco record? Sky blue sky? Sky blue sky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's mm-hmm. what I was thinking of, that record. When I say... Spiders. I think of the um, very poisonous uh, flesh-eating spider that bit me on my 18th birthday, and then I still have a scar to really? this day on my leg, which I will now show you. <laughs> Great for radio. I want you to imagine, folks, he's lifting up. Well, his pants are too tight. <laughs> he has, he has hipster pants skinny on. black jeans, and I have a very white leg. As it's good very white. He's got purple that socks. That. And wow, that's still from the spider? Yep. I mean, it looks like a like a big bruise. Large red. And so that's right on the bone of my shin, which saved wow. me from the venom spreading further out across my leg. Is it's it like a tarantula type spider? No, it's like a, a very small, unassuming spider with a little white tip on it. Uh, and it's called a white tip spider or white tail spider. And, it's a bit uh, like the brown recluse. A little like the brown recluse. Uh, it's flesh-eating. And, yeah, if you get it on a nice, big, healthy part of flesh, it can just look like someone's tipped acid onto wow. your skin. Were you out in the woods or something? Uh, I was out in the alleyway vomiting. Uh, <laughs> no, like, how did the spider yeah, get on you? Yeah, I was in the alleyway vomiting at my 18th birthday. And uh, it in, I fell in a wood heap. And, um, yeah. See, aren't you glad I asked that question? <laughs> no, spider. What about your spider that, that's story? That's what I think of, actually, when I think of... I don't have a spider story. I actually really love spiders. I'm happy to pick them up. If anyone's got one in their house that needs to be taken outside safely. She's from Queensland. and I'm they, from very nature-surrounded The st- place, statistics yeah. are that there's potentially nine... Six. Six, six snakes. snakes within the walls and ceiling of every house in Queensland. Oof. Yeah. You hardly see them, though. Yeah. They're just, they're What's just... the deadliest thing near your house where you grew up? Um, I mean, there's a lot of brown snakes that if you get bitten, you've, you don't have long. Um, <laughs> oh, I've never been bitten. 30, 45 minutes uh, or something? And then further up are crocodiles, which obviously are, are very, very dangerous. Are kangaroos dangerous or are they friendly? <laughs> They have those, like, yeah. talons on the back. Yeah, I don't think you just want to go up and I mean, shake a kangaroo's hand. If they're, they're not dangerous. They're, the big red ones, you know, they're very powerful. They can kill you if they if they um, box you with their... But that's very unlikely. Yeah. I tried to avoid asking our first Australian artists about kangaroos, kangaroos. as long as possible. But oh, yeah. I had to come to yeah, this. No, they're no. very sweet, but, you, but you've got to be careful... Any any mama, like I think of any. Oh yes, there's a baby if there's in babies the around. You you be careful. Yeah. Would you like to play a song? We would love to. Love yeah. to do that. Um, this song uh, is uh, from a lonely motel room. Originally writing it, and it's on um, this new EP coming out called Lost. Uh, it's called The Winner. <laughs> Tell all the turning red. 
in the door I never is is my heavy heart is beating on my head and needs treating your winner Thanks to Jordy Lane and Claire Reynolds for talking with me. You can go to jordylane.com for his tour dates and his music. And uh, I hear some surprises are on the way. And he just released a bunch of new tour dates. And my friends in Michigan, he's going to be playing uh, all over the state. So please look out for that. It's going to be fun. 
you go to thebluegrasssituation.com and search for Jordy Lane, there's a, an old school 10 questions for Jordy segment actually asked by the founder of Bluegrass Situation, Amy Rittenauer. And if it wasn't for Amy, I would not know about Jordy. So thanks, Amy. Lastly, I'd love to thank everybody for being so supportive of this show. This is kind of an experiment for me, and um, I'm doing some of it on tour with the Dust Bowl Revival. And people are coming up to me at shows and saying how much they've learned about new artists. And that's really why I do this, to get you to discover your new favorite band. All these groups need your support, and I'm so glad that you're listening. You can go to DustBowlRevival.com to learn about our tour dates. We're going all over California in March, playing the 50th anniversary of the band celebration. That's going to be a lot of fun. The show on the road is hosted by me, Zach Lupiton, and produced by the handsome Hawaiian Chris Jacobs with support from the Bluegrass Situation team. The show on the road is a part of the BGS Podcast Network. This is Zach Lupiton. See you on the trail.